0: What would you say is the biggest stressor in life? What do almost each and every one of us stress about almost daily? It's Seven Figures, I'm Sandy Waters. Thank you so much for checking out the weekly podcast. We cover everything and anything that will help you be smart with your money and put you on that road to Seven Figures, financial independence, and I'll be completely honest with you, I lean on my dad a lot when it comes to finances. Even to this day, I'm 41 years old, And I still go to him when it comes to questions about finances um, and being smart with my money because I know he spent countless hours learning all that he can. And I am terrified of that day where I'm not going to have him as my safety net. So that's the reason for this podcast so we can all learn as much as we can because one of the number one stressors in life is money, credit card debt. The struggle to put money aside for that emergency fund. We cash in with the expert today, retired federal bankruptcy judge, John Ninfo. Dedicated, now in retirement, to teach kids the important lesson, the only good debt is debt that you can afford to repay. We're very excited about this podcast. I'm excited too, it's a pleasure. With all of your years of experience in the bankruptcy court, your mission now is to help teach people how to manage their finances.
1: I've always said it's not about how much money you have, it's about how you manage the money that you do have that really makes the difference. And you can see people who have a lot of money and who manage it poorly and end up in a bankruptcy court, uh, and people who don't have a lot of money and are worse off because they didn't manage what they did have. I had in my court one day, some East High School students, and that day they got to see Two engineers and a pharmacist making well over $150,000 a year. Half a dozen teachers, half a dozen nurses, and the comptroller, which is the chief financial officer of one of our major universities here in Rochester, I won't tell you which one, hopelessly buried in credit card debt Mm. and unable to explain how they got into so much debt and how they ever thought they were going to get out. And those kids from East High Schools, their jaws (laughs) were dropped. They were in shock that such highly educated and otherwise successful in their career, people could be so clueless. Okay, so it's not only how you manage your money. It is not about your academic IQ, I always say. It's about your financial IQ and the two aren't the same and you better start building your financial IQ. Where does this
0: stem from? Is it a product of our environment? We're not teaching our kids how to manage our money and therefore when we get to a certain age where we start making money, we just don't know what to do with it and we get carried away with keeping up with the Joneses
1: or It's all it's 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 a lot of things. As I've said so often, I grew up in the 50s and 60s in an immigrant Sicilian family where money really mattered and that's one of my themes. Make money matter in everything that you do. Mm. And in those days, Historically, there were no credit cards. They didn't really come into use until the 70s. And so people had only the money they earned and the money that they saved. And so they were good savers. They lived within their means because they didn't have any option. They didn't have any and if they option, wanted right? more money, they got a second job. Can I tell you something really interesting? Over the 20 years that I served as a bankruptcy judge, I had probably 10 different law clerks. And every one of them at one point or another said to me, I can't believe, Judge, that all of these people who have so many credit problems don't have a second job. In my day, everybody had a second job. Why don't we have a second job? Because we have credit cards. Credit cards are our new second job. We don't have to have a second job to live above our means or to do more like Mm -hmm. they did in the 60s and 50s. Now we just go into debt with credit cards. That's our safety net and our extra income because people don't realize that credit cards are not new money, more money, or free money. They're debt. And for consumers, they're the worst debt. And we bring people up, our children, we're not bringing them up in the new world where things are different. I use this little story all the time Mm. when it comes to credit card debt and teaching children. A nine-year-old boy is with his father at the mall. It's a true story. Comes up to his father with a video game, says, can I get this? His father says, we can't afford it, and you don't need it probably has a hundred of them at home anyway. What he should say is, okay, I guess we're headed for the parking lot. Instead, he says, nine years old, already indoctrinated, why don't you just put it on your credit card? As if that could make you afford something you couldn't afford a minute ago, or could make you need something you didn't need. And that starts that early in in this hyper-consumer society that we live in, where debt has now become okay.
0: And the kids, they're seeing it from everywhere, everywhere, especially with social media. So we have got to, it's on us, isn't it on us, the parents, to have these type of conversations? Let me explain to you how a credit card works Yes. instead
1: of brushing it off. I have a whole, you know, a whole series of things that I think are important to teach young people. But here's another key thing that I say all the time. For most times, parenting is about teaching your kids and setting them an example for it. I tell parents, this is one area where you can teach your kids about finances, even if your finances aren't in great shape, because it's so important. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to say, do as I do. You can say, this is so important. Do as I say. And by the way, I'm working on these things myself. Learn from what yes. the mistakes I made. But don't say, because my finances are in good, aren't in good shape, I can't teach my kids. You have to teach your kids. The world is too complicated to not. You know, when I bought my first house in the 70s, there were three kinds of mortgages. And in order to get a mortgage, you had to have 20% down unless you were a veteran like I am, okay? And your principal interest, taxes, and insurance in connection with your house couldn't be more than 25 to 28% of your income. And the bank did that for you, Okay. They pulled your payroll records, they looked at your budget, they And if you couldn't qualify on those two things, you couldn't get that mortgage. Today, it's so different. When I went to a conference in the Treasury Department, at the Treasury Department in Washington in 2009, the Assistant Secretary of the Treasury said there are now 28 residential mortgages. And the only people who understand four through 28 are the lawyers and Mm -hmm the accountants that work for the banks. The bankers don't even understand them half half Mm -hmm. the time. So in this world, how are you going to understand 4 through 28 if you don't commit yourself to learning about finances, do your own math, don't take somebody else's word for it that you can afford something unless you know you can. It's a more complicated world and that's it's a, it's a more tempting world and a more complicated financial world. Yeah. So you really do have to teach. I always say it's not going to happen by osmosis. I think that happens in like in the chemistry lab.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that brings up a good point because you're right. Even if you try to absorb information and really learn about it, it gets confusing. Everything is, ma- is made to make us so confused. So how are
1: we? But, al- but also, let me just... Reflect on this. And yeah. I, most, a lot of this stuff is anecdote. I represented 11 different banks when I was in private practice before yeah. I went on the bench. And I tell kids, one of my lessons is, you've got to learn about finances to defend yourself against yes. the financial industry because they will take advantage of you every chance that Absolutely. they can. And it, I don't mean that in a nefarious way. It's just reality. It's just the way and it is. And so you better figure this stuff out. And I told them I was in Horseheads High School. And I was telling them this. I said, if you read the papers every week, you'll see some big financial institution being fined millions of dollars for what they did to the consumers. I go home that night, okay? And here's an article. Wells Fargo settles for $110 million for its fake accounts on top of the $185 million they already paid to settle that. And so part of the message is it, the world is more complicated. You have to increase your financial IQ. I don't care how good your academic IQ is. Yeah. And you have to read everything, understand everything, do the math yourself. Don't let tell somebody tell you can afford something. And understand, My one of my biggest lessons is don't pay more interest in your life than you have to okay. because you're not a business.
0: So that is a way to, and I was going to ask you, simplify all this complex, confusing talk about finances, because sometimes it can be overwhelming. And then at that point, what do you do? Majority of people just give up. Well, forget it. I can't, I don't understand it. So break it down. Make it simple for us. What are simple lessons?
1: Key lessons from my perspective in over 45 years in and around the bankruptcy court in doing this. Yes. So here are my key lessons. Okay. Don't use credit cards to buy stuff you can't afford. And I think that's so important because I've seen so many thousands of people ruin their lives with credit cards, including those people I told you about that the East High School students mm-hmm. And so my rule is this, when I tell people is I carry about $70 in cash with me. Okay. Our second lesson is cash is king. And if something's less than $70, I pay for it. If it's more, I'll put it on my credit card. But I would never put anything on a credit card if I can't already pay for it. If I don't have the money sitting in my savings or checking account to buy or do that thing, I won't charge it because I don't want credit card debt. It's not new money, more money, free money. It's the worst debt a consumer can have. And so I can then pay my bill off in full every month on time, never pay interest, and never pay fees. Okay. That's number one. Number two is cash is king. I told you I carry $70 in cash. Why? People who use cash make better and different spending decisions. They spend less, why? Because cash is your hard earned money right in front of you. The first lesson I tell young families to teach their children Mm -hmm. about money is money is about hard work. Doesn't grow on trees, doesn't come from ATM machines, doesn't come from the government, and even if it comes from the government, it's because somebody had to work hard to pay the taxes. And the more you are connected with your hard earned money, the more you want to get value for it. And so money, in your hand is cash is king. There's a famous anecdotal story that when McDonald's started to allow people to use cards instead mm-hmm. of cash, the average sale went from four seventy-five dollars to $7. It's not real money. There's no way they could afford more or had more money. It's just they can go into debt. They can get the $7 meal instead of the $4 meal and then figure out how they're going to pay for the $7 meal uh-huh. later. So as more, the more you associate money with hard work, so I tell high school students, if someday you want to buy something, Think about how many hours at that minimum wage, after school or summer job, you had to work to earn the money to buy or do that thing. You may buy it, you may not. But if you buy it or do it, I guarantee you, you'd appreciate it more because you will remember how hard you had to work.
0: Yeah, that's a good lesson. You get to spend what you have, what you can afford to pull out of the bank
1: in cash. There's actually a study, Sandy, that said if you use nothing but cash for all of your spending for an entire year, you would save an incredible 20%. Not your mortgage and your fix-it. That's how powerful it is. I had an RIT professor tell her students last semester, I have been listening to the judges for, you know, for years, now I've decided to actually listen to him. <laughs> <laughs> so start
0: today, take cash out, right? Put it in an envelope and that's your money for the week.
1: Absolutely, just forcing yourself to use more cash. Okay. Not carry your cards around with you all the time. Okay. Can't impulse buy and things like that. So that's one of the important ones. Having a budget. So we're not in touch with our money, mm-hmm. hard-earned money. Mm-hmm. And that's why cash is king. Also in this country, we've talked about it, we are not in touch with our spending. And no, so one can't? of the why lessons is, is so budget hard? to control your spending or it will control you.
0: Why is it so hard for us? We all know the phrase, live within your means. Why is it so hard for us to do that?
1: Because of the temptation. Well, here's the thing. We live in a hyper-consumer world
0: Mm -hmm.
1: where every day we see commercials, Mm -hmm. we see TV programs, we see movies that tell us who we want to be, what we need to have, and so forth. And we're bombarded by it. And so, and we want to keep up with everything. We don't want to be left behind. And so we tend to not know the difference any longer between needs on the one hand and wants, wishes, luxuries, and conveniences. They've all been blurred. So I talk about this all the time. In my day, in the 50s, we never went out to eat. Maybe somebody's 65th birthday. Before the recession, the average family went out to eat seven times a week between takeout pizza after football practice because no one cooks anymore or going into restaurants. We never went on vacation because remember you had to pay for your vacation. You couldn't charge it and pay it. So you had to save for it. Okay. Today, if people don't go on three vacations a year, they're all stressed out. My job is so hard. I can't stand it. you know.
0: Oh, see now that that's a reoccurring message that we've discussed before on the podcast that we have to differentiate between needs versus wants. Right. And it's obviously okay to buy what you want. Those luxury items like vacations, but you have to be able to afford to do that, right? You can't just put it on a card, and if you put it on your credit card, you gotta be able to pay it off when the bill comes.
1: 61% of Americans carry credit card balances. 39% are what the financial industry calls deadbeats because we pay off our credit card. Mm -hmm. Among that 61%, the average household balance is $16,000, and they're paying 20% interest every interest you, dollar you pay is dollar lost forever. What do I mean by that? Businesses make money yeah. every day making a profit. And they borrow money and they pay interest. But they wouldn't make a profit if they didn't pass that interest on with the service or the product that they sell. Mm-hmm. But you as a consumer can't pass it on to anybody because you don't make a profit. I don't care how much money you make as a pharmacist or whatever. Yep. You can't pass it on. So every dollar in interest that you pay in your life is lost forever. You're cannibalizing yourself. So you should pay as few interest dollars as you possibly can. Do you think and, the
0: key is self-awareness then?
1: Well, the other thing that's happened in this country is we have changed our financial mindset. Yeah, So in, Absolutely. <clears throat> in the early days, okay, it your, was about your balance sheet, your assets and liabilities, mm-hmm. okay? Today, it's about your cash flow. It doesn't matter. And that's why we have this buy now, pay later, and we have all this debt and home equity loans and seven-year car loans and all of this stuff because it's about the monthly payment. If we can keep making the monthly payments, no matter how much, because we have some cash flow, no matter how much an absolute debt we are, it's okay until you end up in my court. And then it isn't so okay. But eventually, it's like, you're like your own Ponzi scheme. <laughs> you know, yeah. You're know, you just like your own personal Ponzi scheme when you're going into debt. Well,
0: what do you say to the people who are like, well, I'm just going to live. I can't, can't take it with you.
1: But that's true. So all the money that you've saved, you can spend. But why would you go into debt? Because you can do less. And if you have that mentality that you think that just managing your debt and structuring your debt is... Uh, a good thing to do, then I can't really help you. And I can't, I don't make moral judgments about people anymore. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) that I'm retired now. (laughs) You know, I can't, I don't know what to say to somebody like that, except I hope you don't have children or grandchildren that you're exhibiting that behavior to. And if it's just you, fine. If I can't help you because we live in a country that promotes that. Yeah, The government promotes it. Okay, They don't use the bankruptcy system, for example, to help people mm-hmm. learn how to do things better. I mean, some bankruptcy courts like ours do have people get counseling and try to teach mm-hmm. them. But the idea that we have this bankruptcy system that treats people exactly the same. When it originally started, it was a way to get a fresh start because anything you borrowed in those days, you could afford to pay back when you borrowed it. Mm-hmm. And then you had a catastrophic event, sickness, divorce, job loss, whatever. Mm-hmm. Today, a perfect example is a gentleman I had in my court who had no debt whatsoever, but couldn't afford health insurance. He had cancer, $90,000 of chemo bills. Oh, he had to pay, he had to go bankrupt. Is that what the bankruptcy courts are for? Absolutely, mm-hmm. okay? Now I've got another couple with $180,000 of credit card debt and 27 credit cards bring home together about $34,000 a year take home. Congress treats them the same. They are just as much the honest but unfortunate debtor Mm -hmm. as the gentleman with cancer. So obviously the government isn't trying to promote better financial habits and living in means, you have to remember that two-thirds of our economy, between 66 and 70%, is based on consumer spending. That's not healthy, if you look at global economics. So, can the government afford to discourage people from going out there and spending, and living within their means? I don't know, there's no way, I'm not an economist, you know, Uh, I'm not an educator. Well, I've sort of turned into one, but, I would love to know what would happen to our economy if everybody, aside from big ticket items like automobiles and houses, but if, if nobody could carry credit card debt in this country. If there were no credit card debt, what would our economy look like? There's no way to figured that out, but think about it for a second. What if people could only spend the money they had, like in the 50s and 60s, where would our economy be?
0: Think about it right now, how much money would you be able to spend today if you did not have your credit cards with you? So it's not about, and you've said this, it's not about managing debt, it's about managing your your finances. finances.
1: To avoid debt as much as possible, because it just cannibalizes. Sure, it, it enables you to do things you wouldn't otherwise do, okay? But there are consequences to it. You know, some young man asked me at uh, School of the Arts the other day, well, money can buy you happiness, right? And I said, no, absolutely not. Stop. Money can only buy you convenience, okay, and comfort. It can't buy you happiness. Making a difference in people's lives and so forth <laughs> is what buys you happiness. Yeah. And, and so we're just consumer-driven. We want what everybody, we want to do what our friends do. And then I have people come to my court they have only Social Security as income, and they have iPhones and clothes better than most people. And that's why I say you've got to have a budget and look at your spending to control it, or it will control you in this really hyper consumer society.
0: You really do need to be organized. And then a you lot can look at wants, are wishes. Organized enough with their finances, right? You need to know exactly what's coming in, exactly where your money is going.
1: And remember those eight out of. 14 stressors in today's world are money-related. Eight out of 14 stressors are money-related. So as many of those eight financial stressors that you can eliminate, one of my big things is no American should have a car loan after they've had one car that they bought. Okay. Okay? You buy a four-year car with a four-year car loan. Okay. That you intend to keep for nine or ten years and take good care of it and have money for car repair. When you pay that loan off, you take the money that you've been paying in your budget for four years, mm-hmm. don't go on vacation, don't go out to eat with it, mm-hmm. just put it in the bank. Nine years later, when you get rid of that car, you'll have the money to buy a new one. Or even if you want to trade up, you'll have most of it. Okay? Then you never have to have a car loan in your life. I don't think I,
0: people think that way. They don't think about paying But I'm going to give you the flip-flop. Right. Yeah. So okay. the flip-flop
1: is this. So... I've done that. I have a four-year-old Volvo, black Volvo station wagon, in the parking lot, because four years ago I traded in my fourteen-year-old black Volvo station wagon. <laughs> but this one has different color interior, so I really like it. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> good, good. My different wife has a
1: sixteen-year-old BMW, so we buy good cars, but we take care of them and never have a car loan. We have the money for it. So I have a Corning high school teacher who said to the kids last semester. I, again, you know, I've been listening to the judge, but now I've really decided I'm going to listen. (laughs) I paid off my truck loan. I'm 46 years old. I'm going to be sending my kids to college. I put that money in the bank every month. I know I'll never have another car loan in my life. He said, you guys can't imagine how much less stress that is to know that you're never going to have a car loan. So, who do you want to be? I tell people in life. You want to be the person who doesn't have the stress of ever having a car loan because you've got a little bit of discipline in your life, yep. okay, and money management, and you're using money and finances for you instead of them, okay, the banking yep. industry.
0: It's the best feeling ever when you can say,
1: paid it off. Or things like so when I talk about interest, if you can afford it, get a 15-year mortgage, not a 30-year mortgage. I mean, I don't know the numbers. This is anecdotal, but you get a $75,000 house with a 30-year mortgage, you may end up paying $125,000. Get a 15-year mortgage, you may pay $95. Okay, yeah. all that interest is saving, and, and people don't, yeah, aren't willing to make the sacrifice. Well, that's to avoid yep. debt on the one hand, or even if they do need debt, to minimize that debt, understanding that all those interest dollars are gone.
0: But it is um, sacrifice, and it is... Discipline. When you're listening to this, I want you to think and know that you can achieve it. No matter where you you are right now financially, you can achieve it. You just got to make these little tweaks. Like, if you get a bonus at work, from $500 to $5,000, put it towards the principal of your mortgage. Or maybe some of that extra money, that bonus money set aside for your emergency fund too. It's so important to set aside money, right? Yes. Okay, so now it's time for your return on investment. You dedicated your time to this podcast and we appreciate it. Judge Nimfo, what is something that we can do today to get on that path to financial independence?
1: Create a budget, a realistic budget that you can stick to. And then if you've got debt, start looking at ways you can pay it down. So you've got to start by living within your means and living within your means, by the way, means saving. So living within your means doesn't really live; It really means living below your means Yes, because I'm sure you've talked about this. I mean, whatever percentage, 10% off the top ought to be going to some sort of savings, whatever savings you've designated. So living within your means is a misnomer. It's really living with below your means. Mm -hmm. If you think of savings as that Instead of living above your means to live, you know, 100% on what you make, plus have $16,000 of credit card debt that you're running around. So create that budget and then look at ways that you can do things for cheaper within that budget, even if there are needs, I mean, or wants or wishes or luxuries. And then you could start whittling away at that debt. You got to get that budget so that you can be in control of your finances. This is what I tell the kids. When I went to McQuaid in the 1960s, I wanted to be in control of everything in my life. Everything, okay? And I don't know how in 2017, if you're not in control of your finances, you can think yourself to be in control of your life. It's such a big component of your life today. You can't just like ignore it and not be in control of it, you know, and get the best value for all of your hard-earned dollars. And once you build good money habits, Sandy... It isn't like you're walking around obsessed all day, every day with my money, my money, my money. It just falls into place because you built good habits.
0: I love it. Judge Nympho, thank you so much.
1: You're more than welcome. Thanks for having me in.
0: We're all still healing from the pain of doing our taxes, but now is the time they say that we have to make sure we're doing everything right to better prepare ourselves for next tax season. So if you sell anything... Even $5 on Craigslist or eBay or Etsy. If you don't claim that, is there a possibility that you can get in trouble? How you can protect yourself? What should you be doing right now when it comes to taxes? We'll gain the knowledge from Thomas Petrella and Michael Phillips from Petrella Phillips CPAs next week on 7 Figures on Twitter at 7 Figures Pod.